of his mission on earth. Why did God come on earth? Verse 32. I have come not to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. Again, I have come not, I've not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. Congregation will consider this one verse with just two points. Number one, the arrogance of the righteous. And number two, the humility of sinners. The arrogance of the righteous. Number two, the humility of sinners. And saints of God, I want you to ask yourselves as we are going through these two points, which one are you? Which one are you? Let's consider the first point, that is the arrogance of the righteous. This scene starts off with introducing, introducing us to a man named Levi that we know as Matthew. Now, Levi was a tax collector. And as he's sitting in his office, Jesus comes up to him and says two words that changes his whole life. He says, follow me. Verse 28, and he left behind, or he left everything behind and got up and began following him. Shortly after this, Levi throws a, a party, a dinner party for Jesus. Everyone's invited. All of his tax collector friends are in attendance. This party, saints, would be a joyous occasion. There would be eating. There would be laughing. There would be drinking of wine. But we see in our text that not everyone is joyous at this reception. Verse 30, 32 say, the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling to the disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus said, answered and said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. Here in verse 32 of our text, Jesus puts before these men and puts before us two people groups. Two people groups. He, in other words, splits the room into half. There are two types of individuals in this world. There are two types of individuals in this world, congregation. Righteous and those who are sinners. Righteous and those who are sinners. Now notice, congregation, when Jesus says in verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but to sinners, we might be taken back by this statement. In other words, this is sort of confusing at first read. Again, he says, I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. Here's the question that, I, that came to my mind. Isn't being a righteous person a good thing? Isn't righteous a good thing? Is it being righteous what God calls us to be? You remember, saints, being righteous means to be morally upright. It means to be pleasing in the sight of God. And isn't that what we are striving to be? Pleasing in God's sight. But here in our text, Jesus says, I have not come for the righteous. God says that we are to be righteous. But here Jesus says, I have not come for the righteous. Jesus here says that he has no interest in the righteous. Now, what does Jesus mean then? What does Jesus mean here, saints? Well, you have to understand that Christ is using the word righteous in a way that we don't normally use it. He's using the word righteous in a way that we don't normally use it. Again, we know one to be righteous. 
is to be pleasing in the sight of God. But here, when Jesus uses the word righteous, he's referring to those who are not actually righteous. He's referring to those who are not actually righteous. In other words, Jesus is saying that there are some who have it all together. That there are some who have it all together. That there are, or rather, he's not saying that. He's not saying that there are some who, well, rather, they think that they have it all together, but they don't have it all together. He's not saying that there are some who don't need for him to save them. He's not saying that. He's not saying that there are some who don't need his life, that there are some who don't need his death, who don't need his resurrection imputed unto them. He's not saying that on this earth, there are actually some who are righteous and are of no need for my redemption and my redemptive work. Because, saints, if that was true, if Jesus was saying that there are some who are righteous, that some who are truly righteous, then he would be contradicting his own words. Remember Romans 3.10, none is righteous, no, not one. We read in Psalm 14, 2 through 3, the Lord looks down from heaven upon the sons of mankind to see if there's any who understand, who seek God. In verse 3, they all have turned aside. Together they are corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. So there is no one who is righteous. If anything, the scriptures are clear on saying since that point there is that there is not one person that is righteous. So then what does Jesus mean when he says he does not come for the righteous? Well, what Christ has in mind is this, that there are some in this world. There are some who think they are righteous, but in reality, they are sinners. That there are some in this world who think they are righteous, but in reality, they are sinners. I'll say it one more time. Those who think they are righteous, but in reality, they're sinners. The context is what helps us come to this conclusion. Remember who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to the Pharisees. He's answering the Pharisees' question of, why does this man... Eat with sinners. The Pharisees are asking that. The Pharisees are the ones who are the very definition of self-righteousness. The very definition of self-righteousness. They are ones who think that they are high and above everyone else. They are the ones who think that because they are from Abraham's line, that they have a special privilege, but in fact... Jesus says that they are snakes. They are the offspring of vipers inside full of dead man's bones. So when Christ calls them righteous, he's not agreeing with them. He's not saying, I haven't come for you, Pharisees, because you have it all together. But rather, he's calling attention to what they think they are in order to drive home what they actually are. What they think they are. You think you are righteous. But let me tell you what you actually are. You're a sinner. Oh, saints. What is a self-righteous man? What does it mean to be a self-righteous man? A self-righteous man is the worst of the worst of sinners. A self-righteous man is the worst of the worst of sinners. A self-righteous man is one whom we all should pity. Whom we all should pity. To be more specific, a self-righteous man holds to the lie of what's called works righteousness. 
the lie, the, the lie from Satan of works righteousness. These people believe that their obedience to God's law merits them eternal life. That their obedience to God's law merits them eternal life. That these type of people believe that they, apart from grace, can contribute to their salvation. That apart from grace, they can earn and merit heaven upon their own strength. Now, what's the problem with this congregation? Well, for one, no one, no one apart from grace can merit heaven. That no one apart from grace can merit heaven. That no one apart from grace has enough strength to stand before God and for God to look at them as righteous and worthy. But the second problem is just as folly. The second problem is just as folly. And that is this people misuse one of the main reasons why the law was given to man. In other words, God's law was given to man in order to show us that we cannot fulfill it. That's why God's law was given to us, to show us that you cannot do this. But when the sinner, or rather when when the self-righteous one looks at God's law, when they see God's law, they see the law as something very doable, something that they could attain themselves. You see, the sinner looks at God's law, And it brings them to their knees. It causes them to weep, to run to Jesus Christ. But the self-righteous person, they look at God's law, they say, I can do this. I can fulfill every single commandment that God gave to man. Saints of God, that is not why the law was given. The law was given to expose our sin. Not to heighten our ego. It's to say that we can do it. There's many things in this world that you can do. Many things. But saints, you cannot fulfill the law and obey the law perfectly. You cannot do that. And that's why the law was given to man. In order to strike terror and fear into the heart of man. For man to look outside of themselves to someone who has fulfilled the law on our behalf. Who has fulfilled the law on their behalf. And the self-righteous person does not do that. The self-righteous person does not look outside of themselves. They look within themselves. They say, what in me? What in me? What can I do? And they say, I can do it. I can do it. Secondly, the self-righteous man minimizes their sin. The self-righteous man minimizes their sin. In other words, the self-righteous man reduces their sin against God when they compare themselves to the sin of others. Again, the self-righteous man reduces their sin against the backdrop of the sins of others. Remember, saints, when Jesus is at the dinner, verse 30, the Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling to his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? This is the very same thing that the Pharisees, uh, Simon asks, you know, to himself when that woman is crying and, and, and weeping at Christ's feet. And he says, if Jesus only knew who was wiping down his feet, 
This saint is a perfect example of the mindset of the self-righteous man. Here we have these Pharisees who are the worst of the worst looking at Jesus and disgusted for Jesus is eating with sinners when they in fact are the chief of sinners. You have the chief of sinners looking at Jesus, the one who come to save sinners, who's eating with sinners and he's looking or rather they're looking at this scene here and saying, what is going on? I thought Jesus was a righteous man. If he was a righteous man, he wouldn't be eating with sinners. He wouldn't be eating with these people. This is what self-righteous people do, congregation. They compare themselves amongst themselves. Hear me now. Don't ever compare yourselves amongst others. Because you will always find someone worse than yourself. They compare themselves amongst themselves. They may say, I've told a lie before, but I've never murdered. I have told a lie, but I've never committed adultery. I may have done this in the past, but I certainly, certainly have never done that. That's what the self-righteous person does. If you're married or ever been in an argument, you know this well. You may have known this trick. That when you're arguing with your significant other or you're arguing with someone else, what's the oldest trick in the book in an argument? It is to minimize what you do while maximizing what the other has done. While the other is saying, you are doing this, what do you say or what do we say? Okay, but you do this. And yours is not, you know, any more better than what I have done. So in doing so, saints, we tend to minimize what we do. All at the same time, maximizing what others have done. This is what self-righteous people do with regard to their sin. This is what they do, saints. So many people judge themselves in light of others. I'm not as bad as them. Rather than judging themselves in light of God's word. God's word is to be the backdrop of judgment upon ourselves, not how bad others are. We don't look at society and say, well, look how bad they are. Thank God I'm not like that. No, we are to look at ourselves and look at ourselves in light of God's word and hope that we're not like that. And pray to God that we don't get like that. St. Paul says in Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Although some sins are more heinous than others indeed, all sins are an offense to God. No matter if you lied, if you murdered someone, the liar is no different than Hitler. All have sinned. And all sins are an offense to God. Saints of God, we are not to do this. Oh, hear me now. We are not to do this. And saints of God, we can even do this with regard to doctrine and theology. Praise God you're in a good church right now. Praise God you're at, uh, you're in a reformed church. But don't let what you know, don't let what the things that you read be something that allows you to become prideful. 
While you look at others in your past and say, well, they believe in this and they believe in that. Don't think that you're better than them because you believe in the Reformed faith. You're not. You're not better than them. Praise the Lord that He's opened your eyes to see the glory of God's grace in all of Scripture. But saints of God, do not allow what you know and what you read to be something that allows you to become big-headed. And even now, saints, even you coming to church now, you can be here but not really be here. Praise God you're sitting here right now. Thank the Lord. But are you mentally here? Are you spiritually here? Saints of God, we are not to think that just because we're doing all the external works of religion that we're actually doing religion. We're not. You're not. I'm not. And we are to pray and pray and plead with the Lord to help us in these matters. And lastly, the self-righteous man refuses to recognize their need for a Savior. They refuse to recognize their need for a Savior. These are those who think that they are spiritually well. These are those who think that they have no spiritual health issues. The self-righteous man are like the, are the, the Pharisee in Luke 18.11 who prays, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Swindlers, crooked, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. That's what the self-righteous man does. They thank the Lord that they are not like others. While doing what? While ignoring who they are. The problem with the Pharisee's word, saints, is he ignores his own condition while singling out everyone else's condition. This, saints, is the mindset of the world, is it not? This is the mindset of the world. The world ignores their sinful condition. The world says, I have many problems. I have a marriage problem. I have a debt problem. I have a job problem. I got a car problem. I got a whatever problem in the world. But I don't have a sin problem. That's what the world says. I have every single problem you can think of, but I don't have a sin problem. I don't have a sin problem. And saints, and what they mean is this. They don't have a problem with who they are. Because they see sin as merely just actions that are performed. I do bad things, but I'm not a bad person. That's how the world views sin. Just merely reducing it down to an act. I just do bad things, but I'm not a bad person. The self-righteous person confuses what he does with what he is. The self-righteous person confuses what he does with what he is. They say, my actions do not define who I am. My actions do not define who I am. I don't have a problem internally. <laughs> but saints, we don't need Christ to merely cleanse us from sinning. We don't need Christ to merely stop us from sinning. We need Christ to cleanse us from being sinners. That's what we need Christ to do. Not for us to merely stop doing sinful things. But for us to be, or rather stop being sinners. That is why He takes on our nature, is it not? That is why the Eternal Son assumes all of me. To cleanse all of me. Just as when wax touches the fire, 
It eliminates, the fire eliminates the wax. Well, likewise, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, assumes all of me. And at the very moment of conception and to the very end of his life, he extinguishes all of my bad and replaces it with all of his good. As we close this point, saying there's much we can say, but the question I want you to ponder is this. If there is, if, is there anything, is there anything in the self-righteous man in you? Is there anything in the self-righteous person in you? And if there is saints, if you say, you know what? I recognize that there is some, there is characteristics of a self-righteous person in me. Praise God. Praise the Lord that you see it. You know why, saints? Because one of the things that characterizes a self-righteous person is ignorance and arrogance. Praise the Lord that God gives you right now. If you have eyes to see, if the Lord gives you eyes to see, hold on to what He's allowing you to see. And allow the Holy Spirit to change you. Cooperate with His grace. And change. And change. Let us be on guard. Always be on guard. The words of David are always to be on our hearts. Lord, search my heart. Search my inner being. We should be saying that every morning and every night. Lord, search me. If there's anything in me that you do not like... Is there anything that I should despise? I want to hate the very things that you hate. Remove them from me. That's what we should be asking the Lord. Plead to ask the Holy Spirit to remove any and all self-righteousness that we may have. Now the congregation, the second question is this, or the question is this, what type of people are we to be? What type of people are we to be? Verse 31 and 32. And Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. Saints of God, who did Christ come for? Who did Jesus come for? It says he's come for sinners. Is there any time that we should identify ourselves as being a sinner? It is now. If there's any time we are to say, I want to be like that, 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 is sinners. We are to be in the sinners bracket, in the sinners category, in the sinners group. To be a sinner means to be the opposite of self-righteous. To be a sinner means that you understand that you cannot do anything to earn God's favor. To be a sinner means that you plead for God's grace. To be a sinner means that you don't judge yourself based off how bad others are but rather you judge yourself based off God's Word. To be a sinner means that you don't minimize your sin, but you know how spiritually sick you are. But also you know that you cannot heal yourself and you know that you cannot forgive yourself. (coughs) To be a sinner means that you know that sin is not something that you do, but rather it's a disease that you were born with. It's not something that you do, but rather it's a disease that you've been born with. To be a sinner means to look at God's law as something that we can't do. Something that we can't fulfill. Ultimately, congregation, what does it mean to be a sinner? Ultimately, to be a sinner means that you confess that Jesus Christ is your only hope. 
That's what it means to be a sinner, saints. To be a sinner means that you confess that Jesus Christ is your only hope. It is these type of people that God became man for. And isn't that the wonder of the gospel congregation? Oh, hear me now. This is the wonder of the gospel. That God, who is of too pure eyes to look upon sin, assumes the likeness of our sinful flesh. He's too pure eyes to look at sin. He assumes our sinful flesh becomes one like us in every way, save for sin. And saints, he doesn't just stand at a distance from sinners. Again, the God who is of two pure eyes, the one who is holy, we just sang of who he is. He does not stand in the corner. Oh, what does he do? He eats with sinners. Just saying that should give you butterflies. Just saying that should cause goosebumps. The God who is of two pure eyes eats with sinners. He speaks to sinners. He rubs shoulders with sinners. He touches sinners. He allows sinners to touch him. He befriends sinners. He calls sinners friends. Why? Why does he do this? Because he came for sinners. Allah did not come for sinners. Buddha did not come for sinners. There is not a comic book that has ever been written that says that God came for sinners. That the one who is holy and beyond all of who we are came to rescue us. He came to sinners. He came so near to sinners. Oh, saints, what a wonder this is. What a profound mystery this is. He came to sinners, saints. He came for people like Levi, a tax collector who was seen as a traitor. That was despised. He would take the money of the citizens and give it to Rome. He says what? Follow me. Oh, saints, he came for people like the woman caught in adultery. A woman who was to be stoned to death. A woman who did something, allegedly, that was seen as the worst of the worst of crimes. He came for people like her. And what does he say? I do not condemn you. Go. From now on, do not sin any longer. Oh, saints, he came. He came for, he came for people like the woman who was a prostitute. He came for the prostitute. The one who society looks down upon and rejects. And he says, come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He comes to tax collectors for prostitutes. For women who have committed the gravest of sins. And he came to you, saints. 
came to you. Whoever told you the gospel when you were younger, when you were older, whoever preached to you the gospel, Lord Jesus Christ, and at that moment you said, I believe, that's when Christ came to you. Christ came to you. And he spoke to you. And he touched you. And he allowed you to touch him. And ever since then, saints, you have yet to let him go. Because he has yet to let you go. He came then, 2,000 years ago. And he came in the fullness of time to you. Saints, he came. You who were sick. You who, wherever you were doing in your life, whatever, whatever sin you were in, he came to you. And he touched you. And he healed you. The great physician, the great doctor, he came to you and he healed you. And oh, he's such a great doctor, is he not? Doctors wait on their patients. Doctors wait for those who are sick to come to them. Jesus comes to those who are sick. He doesn't say, what type of insurance do you have? He doesn't say, can you pay half up front and maybe half later? He doesn't say any of that. He invites all to come to him. All who are weary and heavy laden. Oh, saints of God. He's a great doctor. A great doctor who gives their sick, his sick patients something that doctors can't give. You know, when Christ comes to you, he doesn't give you pills to take for four weeks straight and then you'll be good. When Christ comes to you, he doesn't give you some sort of liquid to take and then you'll be okay. He doesn't say, well, you're, you know, you, you only got four of the 3,000 vaccines that you need. Let's catch you up. He doesn't say that. He doesn't give us pills to take. He doesn't give us a shot to take. He doesn't give us medicine to drink. He gives us his life. That's the doctor dies for the patient. And in dying for the patient, the patient is healed. His life is our remedy, saints. As Isaiah says, by his wounds, we are healed. His death is our cure. His resurrection is our cure. His ascension is our cure. His return is our cure. All of this is to say, Jesus Christ and Him alone is our medicine. He is our remedy. And nothing else. He has healed us, saints. He has done what drugs could not do. He has done what the bestest of friends could not do. He has done what all the money in the world could not do. What has He done, saints? He saved us. He saved us. Saints, be like the sinner in our text. And what characterizes the sinner is simply this. Cling on to Jesus Christ and no other. Cling on to Jesus Christ. Hold fast to Jesus Christ. Because even if you're holding on to Christ with just even a broken pinky, that is still good enough. 
that is still a strong enough, firm grasp. Because all we need is for Christ to hold on to us. It is not my holding that gets me to heaven. It is Christ holding on to me that gets me to heaven. And it is Christ holding on to me is the reason why I have not lost my mind yet. Is the reason why I am not and we are not like the self-righteous individual. Oh, saints of God, is there anything in you that is in the sinner? Is there anything in the sinner that's in you? And I pray to God that there is. And if there isn't, saints, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord to convict you. And ask the Lord to bring out every single way in which you can identify as Paul, as Peter, as James, as Mary, as those who have walked before us. They are sinners saved by God's grace. Let's pray.